Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another opportunity and privilege to gather together as your children and learn your word. We thank you that your word cleanses us, washes over us, feeds us, and refreshes us. We're so grateful for the truth that sets us free from all these bondages in the world that try to trap us. We ask, Father, that you help us continue in the simplicity and purity of devotion to your Son. And Father, most of all, we're grateful for you sending your Son out of heaven to once for all die for the sins of mankind so that whoever humbles himself before you and trusts in your Son can be saved. We ask your blessing to be upon this message. Have your spirit guide us and teach us. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your spirit. Amen. All right, beware where you turn, part three. So the spirit has uh, emphasized a few different things, as you'll see in tonight's lesson, uh, that he's really kind of emphasized more than the rest in the last couple of lessons. Uh, he's emphasized the direction we turn in our lives and how that's directly related to where our heart is at. Hopefully you've gathered that yourselves over the last couple lessons. Our heart might give in to certain temptations or ideologies, and so our feet then give in and walk in that direction. And this is why we've had the repeated warning to guard our hearts, for from it the heart flows the springs of life, as we've heard, and we'll see again this evening. I want to start by reading a passage that was actually sent to me today by Bill and Lois, who in their own uh, Bible reading were kind of uh, uh, motivated to send this along and thought it fit really well with our lesson. So thank you for sending that. And let's just turn to Psalm 119, verse 105. And I think as you'll see, uh, it kind of is telling the whole story of what we've been learning. Psalm 119, 105. It's a long chapter, some extra page turning. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and I will confirm it that I will keep your righteous ordinances. I am exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Oh, accept the free will offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your ordinances. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not gone astray from your precepts. I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever, even to the end. Sounds like the attitude of a believer to me. Sounds like a 
good picture of what the heart does and even the commitment that the heart makes when it's decided who its Lord and Savior is. So, um, hope that kind of painted a nice picture for you where we've been at. And on the board, regarding wisdom and the heart, we've seen that if your heart seeks God's wisdom and understanding in the fear of the Lord, God will protect it. Proverbs 2.11, understanding will watch over you. In fact, I believe it's that passage also in Proverbs 2 that it says, incline your heart to understanding, which we just read in Psalm 119. He, he inclined his heart to perform his statutes. So, if your heart wanders, if your heart gives in to follow evil men and perverse things and ideologies in this world, there will be a life of judgment and death. The natural law of reaping what you sow is going to take place, and God doesn't want us to reap what we sow in the negative way. And this is why we must beware where we turn or where we allow our hearts to turn. Turn with me to Proverbs 3, verse 1. We saw this on Tuesday. Um, let's read it one more time. It's a, another great picture of what the heart's doing for us if, if we're humble. Proverbs 3.1 My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. So here we see the heart is where we keep God's commands. The heart is where we write God's commands. And the heart is where we trust in Him. So you might say the heart is a pretty diverse thing, provision from God. Supernatural, remember. But it does some pretty, pretty diverse stuff for us. Again, it's the very core of our being. And if you turn to Proverbs 4, verse 4, Let's just see a couple more scriptures in Proverbs that paint the picture of the heart. Then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her and she will watch over you. Now, the following principle on the board we've seen three times. That's because if you believe this, if you honestly, you know, sell out to this principle on the board, it will deliver you daily. It will save you from a lot of heartache and grief that the Lord doesn't want you to go through. One more time on the board. Only God's wisdom from God's word can protect your heart from deception. 
So for some of you, this is a test of your perspective about the Word of God. In other words, do you look at the Word of God as something you can't live without, that you will die without? What's your attitude towards the Word of God? Do you really believe the point on the board that it's your only hope to be protected from deception? And this last passage in Proverbs 4 really sums up our message from this, the Spirit in this series. Uh, look at verse 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it your heart flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. A lot there to chew on. What you and I honestly believe in our hearts is what we will obey or do with our lives. And what you obey will determine whether the path your feet follow will be a life-giving, straight path or a crooked path filled with evil and even death. Again, what you honestly believe in your heart is what you'll obey and do with your life. That's why the heart is so important. That's why guarding it is so precious. It is vulnerable in this world. I mean, we have a free will, and God tells us to guard our hearts and to guard what he gave us. So if you honestly believe in your heart, or what you honestly believe in your heart, is what you're going to obey or do with your life. And what you obey will determine whether the path your feet follow will be a life-giving, straight path, you know, pure, um, less complications, or a crooked path filled with evil and death and you having to cover for yourself. You know, I just what came to my mind right there is lying. You know how when you tell a lie, you usually have to tell another lie if you want to hide that it was a lie? And it goes on a bad, horrible cycle until one time you're just so trapped and you, you finally hopefully give up. And that's, you know, when you think of the straight path with less complications in your life versus the crooked path that, oh, we do to ourselves, right? Life can be so simple. Just as we learned a couple years ago now also, saving faith is a heart issue. Saving faith is a heart issue. It's not just consenting to certain facts about Jesus or following a religious system. It's a surrender of the heart to Jesus as Lord, Master, and Savior. It's truly being humble before the Lord. So this is how God is able to give man a new heart through faith as we've been learning. On the board, the Spirit is crying out. There's a new way to live and love. You don't have to stay in the ways of your youth. Turn to the Lord, as Proverbs 3 says, with all your heart. This is the Lord's cry to all mankind. And even as believers, we must be reminded that this dramatic offer of new life has been given to us. New life has been granted to us 
yet we get familiar with things. We fall back even to our old ways, again, the ways of our youth, the ways we used to solve our problems. And we fall into deception. We have to remember where we came from and all that God has saved us from, including saving us from ourselves. Another emphasis the Spirit has given us in this series is this on the board. The hearts of men are in the middle of the spiritual battle. May we never take this battle lightly. It is for life and death, eternal life and death. From the heart flow the springs of life, remember. And Satan doesn't want any member of the human race to have the springs of life. He's trying to deceive human hearts while God is trying to deliver human hearts. But that's where the battle lies. And the line determining who wins the battle is ultimately the humility to receive a saving, surrendering faith in Christ. We saw this reality on Sunday on the board. Faith changes everything. Faith in Christ opens wide the door for us to have a relationship with God and understand the things of God, even experiencing His peace. And not just that salvation. Our daily faith walk opens the door to all the things of God. You know, God gives grace to the humble. He, he doesn't want to hold anything back from us. He would love to give us all wisdom right now to, to, to let us see the whole picture. But what gets in the way? Our pride, our arrogance. At least at times in our day, right? At times in our walk. And then again, humility is the key to the spiritual life. The more humble we are, the more grace he can pour out on us, the more faith he pours out on us. And remember, it's a process and a journey of sanctification. And God will gradually give us more and more truth and more and more faith if we ask him. So don't condemn yourselves. If you feel like you, know, you haven't been living by faith, you haven't been humble, but we see again that faith purifies the heart on the board. Acts 15, 8 and 9. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Again, faith changes everything. Literally makes a man... From an old creature into a new creature. Literally gives a man a new heart. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ purifies the heart. And without faith, man is stuck with his corrupt heart. It's pretty simple. The difference that faith makes. Turn again to Ephesians 3.14. Let's see the difference that faith makes one more time in this verse. And we see also the connection between faith and the heart. Ephesians 3.14 For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, notice that, he would grant you, that's a gift from God, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ 
may dwell in your hearts through faith. Again on the board, faith changes everything. Faith is the vehicle or the avenue by which Christ can dwell in our hearts. And the heart is cleansed by faith in Christ. This happens at salvation by grace through faith. And after salvation, we are to guard what he's been given to us. I hope that makes sense. To me, that's something that the Spirit's also bringing out. Is God is telling us to guard something that he's given us, a precious gift that he's given us. And we still have our free will to function every day. Um, He wants us to go by grace through faith. He's saying, guard what's been given you, in particular your hearts, this new heart. And how do we do that? By faith as well. And humility, once again, is the key on the board, our path to peace. If we humble ourselves before him, we know he will give us grace and faith, James 4, 6, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and faith changes everything. Faith literally changes the course of a person's life. And that's a gift from God. Given to the humble, of course. Ephesians 3, 17, Acts 15, 8, and 9. So as we enjoy peace with God, as our hearts are surrendered to God in faith, the forces of darkness will desperately try to disturb that faith and peace with God. Satan doesn't want you to have the Lord's peace. He's going to attack in all different sorts of ways. He's going to try to pull our hearts away from pure faith in Christ. Simple, pure faith in Christ. Thus the repetitive call to stand firm and hold your ground. The point came out on Sunday regarding the spiritual tug of war. In this world, there's a constant pull in the other direction. Sometimes from individuals or the media or authorities, etc. There's a pull for you to turn towards them in some way. And don't forget, Satan starts with the little stuff. Satan doesn't go after the big stuff. He's too smart. He knows if he can get you to to compromise in a small area of your life that you don't think is that important. He can use that to get in, to get his foot in the door. So he opens the door wider and wider to other possibilities, other philosophies. He's trying to sway your heart towards the world's ways. As I mentioned on Tuesday, some people will call you legalistic for sticking to truth in your life. Some will challenge you to live life to the fullest, whatever that means in their terms. They will tempt you saying, the water's warm. Come on in, join us. Life's good on this side. And again, they don't realize the water is warming to a boil pretty shortly. On the board regarding the spiritual tug of war, instead of saying, time is short, live for the Lord while you have the chance, they say, time is short, live it up. Totally ignorant of what's to come and any eternal value. And it's very sad, obviously. And hopefully God gives us divine appointments where we can shake them a little bit, wake them up, and tell them why we're really here and what we're supposed to be doing with our time. 
But there's that pull to join them still, isn't there? If you're honest, it'd be easy, easier. There's a temptation for the good soldier to abandon ship, to seek an easier life that doesn't involve discipline. Yet, its end is the way of death. And we miss out on the glory of serving our master and king. Again, there's a temptation for the good soldier. Listen, it's not easy being a good soldier. It takes discipline. It takes obedience. It takes seeing your greater calling and that that it's a hard task at times. And agreeing that the greater calling and the greater purpose is, is the very reason, you know, you're here for your master's servanthood. But it would be easy to quit. It'd be easy to give in to those pulling to you because you get to drop your discipline. You get to jump overboard and go join the party boat on the other side of the, the bay and to your own detriment, obviously. Um, very short-sighted. So we have the truth, folks. The Spirit saying, don't turn to the right or to the left. Even the little things. Don't even take a look. Don't even bother to turn your head. It's really the ongoing battle, again, between the flesh and the spirit. On the board, but we choose to be used by the spirit and to ignore the temporary fleeting temptations of the world that tell us to live for self. Isn't that really what it's all about if you get down right to it? It's the desire to live for self and giving in to that desire. For we believers look forward to seeing him very soon and with no regrets. Let's not be suckers and fall for the lies. You know, um, I forget if it's a parable. I forget what it is. Either it's a parable in the, in the Word of God or a story. But you know the story about digging for the treasure? There's a treasure on, uh, beneath your feet. And you dig and dig and dig and dig and dig and dig and dig. And you're six inches from the treasure and you quit. You just quit. I've had enough of this. I don't believe the treasure is really down there. And that, that's how close we could be to the rapture. That's how close we could be to seeing the Lord face to face. And he can say, well done, good and faithful servant. So don't quit. One day at a time, right? That's all we can do. And that's all he asks of us. So hold up that shield of faith and don't even bother looking to the right or to the left. On the board, Jeremiah 17, verses 5 and 7. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. Again, be on guard for who your heart is trusting in or what your heart is trusting in, the ways of man or the ways of God. Again on the board, keep your eyes straight ahead. Keep your eyes on the cross and the absolute truth of God's word, and don't be swayed to turn to the right or to the left. There are crafty people out there, crafty, smart, subtle, uh, attractive people in appearance and in speech that are being used by the kingdom of darkness to pull people away from pure faith in the Lord. Be on guard for that. Don't be like 
such a sucker for someone who's such a nice person, such a good guy. You know, um, I know this guy who was in sales, and he went up to the, this older gentleman, um, basically trying to sell him something. And he was so smooth in his speech that the older gentleman said, you know, son, your, your tongue is slick like Satan's. And it threw the guy back quite a bit, as you can imagine. And a lot of those old timers, what do they have? They have faith. A lot of them have honest-to-goodness faith, and they have an honest-to-goodness awareness of the craftiness of Satan and how he'll even use good, you know, good people or good speech or whatever to undermine or to sneak in. So be alert. Stand firm in the gospel. On the board, Jeremiah fifteen nineteen part C, as the Lord instructed Jeremiah, they for their part may turn to you, but as for you, you must not turn to them. And this is really a heart issue on the board, folks. This isn't talking about turning your feet, because your feet don't turn until your heart turns, to, towards their philosophies, towards their lack of faith, for example. Don't turn in your heart to the influence or their influence or their opinions. So this is a call on us as believers. We've been set apart, remember. This came out on Tuesday on the board. We've been sanctified to do his good work. In 1 Corinthians 1, 2 in the NIV, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. We've been called to be holy. Think about that. Number one, we, you don't deserve to be called. Number two, he saved you by grace. And now you have this calling on your life. He's literally pulled you out of death and hopelessness and says, you're mine now. Act like it. Imitate my son. Turn again to 1 Peter 3.13. First Peter three thirteen. So God sanctified us, set us apart for his purposes by grace. And he asks us to sanctify him in our hearts, which is pretty amazing. First Peter three thirteen. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be re being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. On the board, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts and stand firm. That's your decision that you can make. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts and stand firm. 1 Peter 3.15, Ephesians 6.10-17. And gird your loins while you're at it.
because the world is going to attack you in many different kinds of ways. Just be on the alert. Remember, if you have the Word of God every day, His understanding will protect you. And if you must suffer at times at the hands of others, then that's just fine. Uh, just don't turn towards them. So let's turn, ironically, in our message here to what came up on Sunday, that the idea of turning is mentioned a lot in Scripture. And again, it starts with the turning of the heart, which leads to a turning in the actual direction of your life, in the way you live. As the Lord said, He will then judge based on the resulting deeds. We've noted over the last couple of years how important turning is in coming to salvation. Again, on the board, turning in salvation, the unbeliever must turn away from sin and self and turn towards Christ in his heart. And this true turning will also have certain good deeds resulting. Mark 1.15, Luke 9.23, Romans 10.9-10, to name a few. All you've got to do is read the four Gospels, and you see this concept over and over, the turning from the old and to the new. And it's a hard issue. There's a turning from what one relies on for their current security. For example, their own goodness or their own stature or wealth and a turning to Christ alone as the source of security and salvation. But how about once we finally made that turn by the grace of God? How about once we're saved through this surrender to Christ as our only hope? What do we do next? Do we turn daily from one thing to the other? Do we, do we have to continue to turn from self and sin and turn to Christ? And we know the answer is yes. And we know and thank God that it's that simple, really. By grace through faith. Turning in the spiritual walk. Repentance and faith are the daily way to walk with God, to be delivered daily from sin and death experientially. This is all God asks of us. This is, this is how you walk in humility. You do these things, God promises to do the rest, to fulfill his calling in your life even, to um, help you walk in the good works that he puts before you, to complete the good work in you. It's so simple. But be careful where you turn. And when you turn the wrong way, which you will at times, repent and have faith. Come back. And these things take place in the heart. Not by some ritual, not by some religious, you know, ritual that you're used to doing as a way to cover your butt. These are heart issues. So that's part of what we're talking about in this series. If you're a believer, you know your flesh still hangs around, bugging you until the day you die. But each day, we must decide which voice we will listen to, that of the flesh or the spirit. And we must stay on guard as a good soldier, knowing we're living in the devil's world, not having any unrealistic expectations in this life. We live in the devil's world, folks. Beware of where your heart turns. Be faithful to your master and savior. And you'll have zero regrets in the end. 
and you'll have his peace, the only true peace you can have in this life. So again, beware of where you allow your heart to turn. For example, and this is what we're pretty much going to spend the rest of the message on tonight, on the board. Where we build up our treasure will influence where our heart looks to for security. Where we build up our treasure will influence where our heart looks to for security. Remember, our Lord said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, it's a flat statement, a plain statement in Scripture. This is the reality. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. So what better reality to test our hearts than to see where we stand regarding money and our viewpoint on it? So are you ready? Brace yourselves. Gird your loins. May I suggest if you're not ready, if you're uncomfortable talking about money, then maybe you have a problem with it. And if that's you, right now just open up your heart. Realize that little bit of whatever came in your heart, bitterness, resentment, uh, arrogance, pride. Just open up your heart. Maybe you're hard-hearted in that area. We're all hard-hearted in some areas of our life. So open up, ask the Lord to give you the truth and set you free. And be humble. The Lord himself talked about money and bondage to it quite a bit in his own words. Therefore, it's apparently something we need to protect our hearts from or we can be pulled away from simplicity and purity to devotion to Christ. Of all things, to get in the way of simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ, the worst, one of the worst would be money. Such a temporal fleeting thing, such a uh, deception, because it always goes in a pocket full of holes in this world. Go to Luke 12, 32. Let's see our Lord's own words about money and our treasure and our heart. Luke 12, 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Notice how the Lord starts. He knows fear is the primary motive for a wrong perspective on money. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out. Wouldn't it be great to have a money belt that doesn't wear out? Sure. Where is it? In heaven. Look at the rest of the verse. An unfailing treasure in heaven. Where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Guard your hearts. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A plain statement of truth. So where are you storing up your treasure? I hope we each honestly ask ourselves, in your own heart, between you and the Lord, what are you clinging to for security? 
What is your heart looking towards for stability? Is it money, possessions, uh, a house? I don't know. Is that, is that what gives you stability um, or, or security or peace? But be honest, I had to examine myself as I'm studying this, trust me. And I see some ugly stuff float around in my heart. I'm like, ugh, that's a bad motivation. Why am I leaning on that for my sense of peace and security? So these are subtle things. And again, if you're, you're humble, um, you'll admit them and God wants to set you free from it. Listen, we've been trained by the world for decades even you young people, trained by the world for decades to rely on money and success and possessions for peace. What do you think? It's going to be an overnight thing that you get over it? How, what are you clinging on to right now for security that you don't even realize you're doing because you always have done it? That's what the Spirit's trying to dig out. Again, where we allow our hearts to turn the actions in our lives are going to follow eventually. For example, on this vein of thought, the world will tell you that you have to save up money. Save up for this, save up for that, save up for your future. Especially in our American culture, which we have seen we must examine to see if it lines up with the Word of God or not. But honestly, I don't know where it says in the scriptures, save, save, save. You have to save. Especially in our, own, in our Lord's own words in the Gospels. So here's a question. Who is trying to convince you that you need to save, save, save? Remember the spiritual tug of war? It's a spiritual battle for the souls of men and a battle for control of our hearts. Jesus said you can't serve God in money. And that was in a passage about salvation. You can't serve God in money. It's one or the other that you surrender to, let's say. That's why the rich man had such a problem, right? The Lord said, sell everything you own and follow me. He had to make a choice because he was in bondage. So who's trying to convince you that you need to save, save, save? Just think about that. Are we here on earth to invest in our retirement? Or are we here on earth to invest in the kingdom of God where our true retirement lies? I'm not judging, by the way. This is totally between you and the Lord. We all have our weaknesses in this area. I think everybody has a weakness in this area in some way or some degree. This is coming up to test our hearts because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Another catchphrase in our society is you've got to pay yourself first. Have you ever heard that? Pay yourself first. That's what all the financial advisors will say. Implying even before you pay your bills or, you know, give to a church especially, You've got to save for your future. Is that God's perspective or is that the world's perspective? It sounds good, doesn't it? Pay yourself first. Ah, I don't, or you'll, you'll pay your bills. Don't worry about it. They'll always be there, right? 
pay yourself first because you've got to have money for retirement or God's not going to take care of you. They don't say those words, but that's the implication. So it sounds good because it's taking care of self. It's back to self again. Pay yourself first. But my Bible says God wants to receive our first fruits. First means primary, means before anything else. The world says first, pay yourself. We should be paying God first out of immense gratitude for his grace provisions, even the ones we work hard for. Who gave you the hands and feet to work hard? Who gave you the brains? Who even lets you have a job right now instead of struggling to find a paying job that so many in the world are doing right now? God, your heavenly father, your provider, your creator. And so he says, don't forget where your blessings come from. Have you forgotten so quickly, my son, that I gave you that job and the ability to work and to make a little extra money? Have you forgotten so quickly? Don't forget where your blessings come from. Give to God first in gratitude so that he can bless you even more. But that's not what the world says. Pay yourself first. I say, bah humbug. I say, keep to your own deception. Keep it to yourself. Because we've been trained by our culture to put self first. And Jesus said, whoever wants to be the greatest shall serve, right? Once again, just because you're used to your American culture doesn't mean it's godly. But right now, the issue we're discussing is really not money. It's really heart issues on the board. Where is your heart regarding saving money? Is your heart hooked on it? You know what I'm talking about when I say this, right? Is your heart hooked on it? In other words, what are you, what are you constantly thinking about during your day? What do you think about when you get a, your paycheck or a bonus? Just that's where your heart is. Is it me, me, me? Or is it, what could I do with this now for God's glory? Just a heart issue, really. Where is your heart regarding saving money? Is it hooked on it for fear of not having enough one day? The issue is what your heart is trusting in, in possessions or in the Lord. Do you fear a lack of security? Or are you placing your security in the Lord's hands? Knowing that he will provide no matter what. He may not provide what you want, by the way. And this is where the test of faith comes in. He might just provide what you need. Some Americans, what's going on in their heart is, I don't want to retire and be in a small one-bedroom apartment. Oh, that would be horrible. That's what's going on in a lot of people's hearts, right? Maybe in your own. I want to live the life. I work so hard on my life. I want to be able to go to the Bahamas whenever I want. It would be a tragedy if I couldn't do that. I mean, seriously. It's incredible. So who are you trusting in for security to provide for you? To provide for you. Are you trusting in God to place you where he wants you 
in your old age. Who's this about? He said not to worry as well. The Lord did. That he will provide. Just read Matthew 6 if you tend to worry about your provisions and your future. And whatever you do, please listen right now very carefully. Whatever you do or whatever you're convicted about on this subject, do not condemn yourself for the past. That's not what this is about right now. I mean, if you wrong somebody, you might want to pay them back fourfold like Zacchaeus did. Okay? That's kind of a different story. But how your heart views money or where your treasure is and what you've cling to for security, don't be condemned about the past. This is about freedom and about now and about today and going forward. So let's look at a, an alternative passage to Luke 12 and take note of the Lord's direct language. Hold your place in Luke 12 and go to Matthew 6, 19. And his pastor says, shake it out right now if you need to. <laughs> Stop talking about money. Everybody like gets all stiff. Be like, I don't like this. Uh, God's trying to set us free. Matthew six nineteen. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Huh. Kind of seems opposite of uh, the retirement planning commercials. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because it'll lead your heart astray. And what's more important to God than your heart? Nothing. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One of the things that I don't want to regret is that I sort of treasure for myself instead of the Lord and then seeing the Lord and having to see that what I wasted away. And I don't want that for any of you. Like that would just be that, right? There's only one life to live. There's maybe only a few days left, which is the right perspective. So what's our heart clinging to? Again, one more time in Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So being in bondage to saving up money is an issue of the heart. The Lord goes on to say in this same chapter, if you read on, that man cannot serve both God and wealth. And he reminds us not to worry. If God provides, provides for the birds and the flowers, won't he provide for you, O men of little faith? So we're back to faith. Isn't that funny? We're back to faith, whether we trust God with all our heart or not. Wherever you store up your treasure, 
your heart will follow and your heart will be preoccupied with. That's a horrible thing, to be preoccupied with anything temporal in this world. God doesn't want your heart always like being pulled in that direction of something temporal. Is your heart going to be preoccupied with earthly wealth or his heavenly kingdom? And this is where repentance might be needed. Again, repent, turn around, come back to him in faith, on your knees if you have to. Be like, you know, Father, I've been wrong. I confess my sin in that area. Confess means to agree with God. I've been wrong. Change my heart in this area. Give me more faith. I'm going to stop trusting in that garbage, that lie, that facade. That's really what it is, a facade. Now, is there a time to save up money in your life? Maybe. I'm not saying there isn't. If God gives you permission to do so, go for it. But the issue is, is it a bondage to you? Is it what your heart is looking to for security? He wants us to be free from that earthly type of bondage. On the board again, talking about heart issues. Who are you trusting in your heart, man or God? as we saw in Jeremiah 17. For you gamblers out there, are you placing your money on red or on black? I'm not a gambler. I forget the name of the game. What's the name of that game? The red and black. Roulette. Roulette. Oh, Michael. Oh, interesting. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> but here's the reason I use this analogy. Are you placing your money on red or black, right? It's because you have to put your money somewhere. You have to place it somewhere. You have to build your treasure somewhere. When you get a check that, you know, is nice, is a bonus, you have to place it somewhere. So, you know, where are you placing it? And again, we're talking really heart issues here. What's your goal? Which kingdom are you investing in? So let's learn again from our Lord's words and let's be humble enough to be convicted if needed. Go, to, go back to Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of evil or greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do? since I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds like a TV commercial for retirement planning. Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But what's God's response to that way of thinking? 
Verse 20. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you've prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What's the issue here? It's actually not about saving money. It's about the heart. On the board, treasure in the heart. It's about bondage in the heart to earthly things that are so temporary. And it's about relying on the things of this world instead of the Lord. The Lord's saying to all of us, don't be a fool like this man. Don't be a fool like this man. Don't have to hear those words from God. You fool. Why did you live for the things of the world? Did you not believe you were going to see me soon? Either he's going to say, you fool, or he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Some very nice people in this world will tell you what you should be doing with your life and how to live it, including what to do with your money. You should ask yourself, where does their wisdom come from? And is it in agreement with the word of God? Is it in agreement with what the Lord himself said out of his own mouth that we just read? And Paul shares what the Lord taught us from his perspective. As we begin to close, go to 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. So I honestly really hope that you see this is about heart issues. First Timothy six seventeen. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Does that sound like a heart issue to you or what? Fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Obviously, Paul's not talking about the future on earth. He's talking about the future in heaven and that which is life indeed, eternal life. That's where we should be storing up our treasure. So he instructs the rich man to do that, to change his perspective, to repent. And then in verse 20, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. So here again, we see the idea of guarding your heart. Guard the new heart the Lord has given you by grace. Again, on the board, as we close in Jeremiah 15, 19, part C, they for their part, part may turn to you, but as for you, you must not turn to them. Who's them? Those in the world. Regardless of the subject, don't turn to ungodly ways of thinking that are going to be thrown at you. Don't uh, give in. Don't compromise. Don't settle for a compromise 
on something that you know is against the word of God. Those in the world, even those that you love and care about, by the way, may try to lead you into their way of thinking. And they'll try to turn you from the Lord as your only sovereign. Think about that. The word of God is God, right? They'll try to turn you from the Lord as your only sovereign. From his words that he speaks as our rule of life, as our only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. The Lord said you must not turn to them. So we'll continue and get more into the gospel, hopefully on Sunday, uh, and how to be standing firm in the gospel and not turning away in that area of our lives. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another marvelous time in your word and your truth. And we ask, Father, that you help us be humbled before your mighty hand and allow the truth to set us free. We thank you, Father, for the freedom from this world and its ways. We thank you for the simplicity and purity of devotion to your Son above all else. We ask these things in Christ's precious name and by the power of your Spirit, we pray. Amen.